Hello and welcome to another Colin episode of Merc the Meek. This one is going to flow right from the previous episode. That one was from Enrip V, talking about how Gary Gygax really meant you to play AD&D Rules as Written, and it's explicit in the DMG. So let me summarize that real quick before we jump into some other calls, because this information, as far as I'm concerned, helps to answer the other calls. And if you've listened to the other one and it's been a while, it might be helpful to have a refresher. In that episode, Enrip looks at OD&D and basic D&D and reads the relevant snippet about how in those two books it is explicitly saying, make these rules your own. Of course, they're saying, do it with care. You know, think about the consequences of what you're changing. These rules, at least in by basic, they say that they've been playtested. So they work together cohesively. So you have to be careful about what you're changing. But nonetheless, they still say, go ahead and change the rules. It's encouraged. It's celebrated. But when we get over to the AD&D DMG, in the preface and in the intro, Gary Gygax is discerning two different things here. He's talking about the rules and the rule set, and he's talking about the campaign setting. The milieu is the word that he uses a lot. So you've got to figure out what is he talking about when he's talking about this preface and introduction. And in the most case, when Gary is talking about changing things, making it your own in the context of AD&D, he's talking about the setting use your imagination and cook up a pretty wild setting. But of course, there's limits to that too. Don't go too far, whereas the the rules won't be relevant anymore. But when it comes to the rules, Gary really wants you to play by the rules. He says his goal in doing that, first off, is... <laughs> Enrip was pretty snarky about it, but I, I still think there's a little bit of presumption on Gary's side. But Gary's saying, if you don't play by the rules, it's going to kill your campaign. Whether it'll be too easy, it'll be you make it a cakewalk for your players, you cave into them, and now you know they're bored and they want to go do something else, or you make it too hard and too punishing and grueling, and nobody wants to play with you for that reason either. And then second of all, Gary wants AD&D to be consistent between tables so that people theoretically could move from table to table with the rule set of AD&D and don't have to worry about wild homebrew strangeness that you can get a consistent game of AD&D no matter what table you're at. And if you were to go to a tournament and play, it would be the same game. And Rip also pointed out, though, that once you start needing to interpret things, then that becomes difficult to do because table expectations will vary from place to place because people are interpreting things differently. So Gary was basically saying all of the major parts of AD&D are not up for interpretation and they need to be played consistently. He stresses conformity, uniformity in those things. And he also says there are areas that are pretty vague or they're not very well defined in the rules on purpose so that they could be opened up to interpretation and that they could be, you know, molded to fit into a campaign better. But as far as I can tell, 
there's no explicit saying of what's major and what's optional. So that makes it a little more difficult. But all in all, this is the gist of the argument here. You can clearly see in OD&D and basic D&D that there is an encouragement and a celebration of making the D&D rules your own. But within AD&D itself, Gary is pulling back on that. Now, there's a decent level of snark in that first episode from Enrip, but in some ways, I can confess that it is kind of a noble goal to try to get everybody on the same page to some degree, because there is going to be some referees that have great design sensibilities, and they can see maybe some shortcomings in the rules, or they can see a certain play style in their players that they want to encourage or highlight or maybe nip in the bud, and they know if they tweak these rules that they can accomplish this goal without derailing the campaign, without making it too easy or too hard, etc., etc. There's probably going to be other people, though, that don't have very good design sensibilities, that they do want to give their players a power fantasy, and they do end up derailing their campaigns in the end. That's not their forte. So there is some merit to that. And there is merit to basically having the same set of rules that everybody is playing with so that, you know, expectations are met across the country, across the world, that you're basically playing the same game. There's nothing wrong with those things necessarily. I think the main issue for me, for NRIP, is this whole cult of raw that's grown up around the game kind of sullies it. Yeah, I I have a hard time with (laughs) conformity and being told demanded that you must conform. I will willfully, voluntarily conform to get along with people, to play a game, etc., etc. But being demanded that I conform, that's a hard thing. Well, I think that's enough summary to go on from. Let's get into some calls. I'll be doing calls from Riley from Diegetic Advancement, Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast, and Daniel from Bandit's Keep. In most cases, I'll be chopping these up and interweaving some of my responses in them, trying to organize things as much as I can. We'll see how successful I am. But here we go. Hi, Merck. Riley here, just calling in on your latest bonus episode. Loved hearing from Enrip the Fifth, though I wonder what happened to one through four. Of course, as you recommended, listening to the end is a good idea, as Merck manages to seize back control and add a voice of reason though it's interesting if you follow the rule of if you don't play by the rules of AD&D you're not playing AD&D that rule came from outside the AD&D rules it was in an interview or something so by following that would you then not be playing a different game and then the rule wouldn't apply butting in here a little bit what do you think Riley does it seem like that rule is actually in AD&D itself? And because of that, the thought is now moot? Or is it because it's in the preface and the introduction? They're not technically rules, so it's still kind of outside of the rule set. Do you actually care what Gary has to say? That's probably the more important part. Do you care about what his goal was for AD&D? And therefore, you're willing to go along with it, or does it matter to you? I guess those are the questions that are important here. I think it's interesting to think about what constitutes a rule in a game as well. Uh, The examples that Gary gives for the poor ratings rules, or are they guidelines or something else? That is an interesting question. 
he does say that all of those examples are clear examples of a poor rating. He's not saying these are the exact criteria, but he's saying these are obviously poor qualities in your particular class. But yes, you could certainly make a case that those aren't rules, those are guidelines, and maybe that's one of the areas that Gary is referring to when he talks about how there's room for interpretation. This is one of those wide and spacious areas. Hey, here's the rating system. I want you to use that. If you don't, you're not playing AD&D, which we'll get to in a minute with uh, Daniel here. But if you interpret these ratings the way you want, then you're still kind of falling within AD&D. But once again, if you're interpreting things in a certain way, and then you try to go to another table, and they interpret things very differently, how much is that going to impact your play experience? And are you really playing the same game of AD&D then? Very interesting. Daniel has some comments on rules as written AD&D, as well as the rating system. So I'll put that stuff in here now. Then we can jump back to multi-classing, which Daniel and Jason and Riley talk about some more. You know, again, this is always a fun debate. It goes across multiple, <laughs> multiple podcasts. You know, I think for me, ultimately, it comes down to the idea of just like, the idea that you're going to rate your friends just feels really awkward and weird to me. And if you remove that and you make it a table decision or it's just something up front that you've decided, okay, this is the checklist and make sure you do these things, then that's fine. I still feel like I'd rather make it beneficial than punitive, if that makes sense. So, and again, I don't know how you do that either because everybody's got to still rate people, right? But if you're going to rate somebody, I'd rather say your baseline is this and then you train less if you did a lot of the things, right? So if you're a thief and you used every one of your thief skills, when you go to level up, your training time is halved because you used every skill during the game, so that's awesome. And that's something you can very specifically tie to certain classes. If you're a magic user and you used all of your spells during the course of the game, then when you go to learn new spells, it's easier, right? Like that might just be a thing that you do. I think that kind of stuff works really well and, you know, I'll change that and then I won't be playing AD&D, I guess. <laughs> You know, it's funny because is omitting a rule not playing rules as written? I mean, if you don't change the rules, but you just omit something, is that truly not playing rules as written? We'll have to uh, ask the survey out there and see what the, the, the raw cults say about this. Well, I suppose it depends what you mean by raw cult, Daniel. If you're talking about people that play as close to rules as written as possible for the challenge of it or for fun, that's great. If you're talking about the cult of raw, meaning people who worship Gygax and say, you must play this game, rules is written, and you're an idiot if you don't, well, then I don't care what those people say about AD&D or just about anything, really. But what Gary seems to be saying in the text, though, is all of the major systems, all of the major rules in this game are not optional. That's what he said in the preface slash introduction. There's no main system that is optional. So the question becomes, what is a major system? What is the main systems here? Is the rating system a major part of AD&D? If it is, it's not optional in Gary's mind. He didn't tell us if it was or not, though. So is it? I'd be okay with you removing it, but I don't have any AD&D clout. And also, if it's a minor system and you don't want to remove it, you could do exactly what you said. Everybody gets a good rating, and then if they go above and beyond, then you improve their rating. 
Maybe everybody gets a rating of two, but if they use all their skills, they get that one. I'm just inclined to say everyone gets a one. I don't want to be doing that math to figure out how much gold and time they need to train. Ain't nobody got time for that. But I, I do think... <laughs> I do think you have a better design sensibility than Gary does here. Gary's using the stick, and if you don't conform to the roles that I want you to conform to, I'm going to use this stick to hit you with more gold and hit you with more time for training. You've got the carrot saying, here's the baseline. If you want to go above and beyond, and if you really want to fit into this role, then you'll get rewarded with less time and spending less money. I think your approach works a whole lot better. I don't know if I already said this, but it, it feels like Gary has a very vindictive type of streak. And I don't know if it's because of like the player group that he has, if it's like the wargaming background. But yeah, I, th I think that carrot is a better approach when we're talking about a game <laughs> that people are using to have fun and entertain each other, as opposed to... <laughs> having like psychological warfare going on at your table. But that's just me. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth or anything. <laughs> Here are a few more words from Riley. It's mostly focused on the rating system, so I'm going to put it here, even though he does mention multi-classing, which we will get to very soon. But it's more related to just the rating system in general, so I figured I would add it here. A few last points, though I know I'm talking to NREP here, which might be fruitless. Is Gandalf a magic user, some multi-class, or a class not represented in AD&D, or not operating in the rules of play characters at all? Of course, if we count Gandalf as a magic user, him standing up to the Balrog is only a single deviation from the magic user role, and an excellent rating allows few deviations from the norm. So if he acted like a magic user for the rest of the adventure, he'd likely still get the excellent rating. This whole rating system thing is messy. I mean, the Balrog is a major threat. Does that matter at all when it comes to the rating system? Does that matter that a magic user is picking up a sword at that point? What, it just gets marked down as one deviation and that's it? To say that there's a strict rules as written interpretation of the rating system, I, I just, I don't see it. And that's probably why this discussion has spanned over several different podcasts. But does this prove the point that you can't play AD&D Rules as Written? It's a fool's errand. But once again, does that matter? Nah, it doesn't. Well, yeah, what is Gandalf? He doesn't fit into the boxes here. I and mean, that's part of the point, though. How do you represent Gandalf? in AD&D. Well, you can't really. He's a Maiar. He's not human, although he seems very human. How do you represent that? He's not just a magic user. He's not just a fighter. So I guess we have to talk about multi-class. Of course, you're right. As soon as a character multi-classes, those examples start to break down. The initial statement of natural functions of each class of character still does, though there's not guidance given for what that means for a thief magic user fighter multi-class. Of course, this system is, in my mind, um, based on the, the fact that the game, at least in Gary's mind, is um, it emphasizes the role in role-playing games. And what I mean by that is 
players are meant to play their character's role. And so their role is fighter. Their role is thief. Their role is cleric. And so to play well, they should play them as what their role is. Of course, you know, that that might not be for everyone or every table, as Jason's talked about a lot and uh, the call-ins to my show when I mentioned it, um, talked about. Of course, so you can ignore it, change it. Perhaps you can make it a self-rating system if you kind of like the idea of uh, it affecting training, um, but not the game master bearing down with his almighty power. Anyway, I'll talk to you and Enrip later. Bye for now. Listen here, Enric. The rating system works perfectly fine with multi-class and dual-class characters because of the difference in the experience point progression. They would be rated for each class. So a fighter thief would be rated for their advancement in fighter on the fighter, how they were as a fighter and a thief as they were acted as a thief. And they would have to train appropriately. So they might get a better rating in one than the other. It all depends. Is for a dual class character while you're only acting as the new class until such time as the two classes are equal to each other. And then at that point, they would be facing potentially the same dilemma as the multi-class character. But actually, because they're humans and it's a human-centric game at that point, then they'll get rated as a one anyway. Because if you can make a dual class as a first edition human then obviously you're a superior player just like a bard if, if you can survive to be a bard you're obviously a superior player and you should get a one all the time i hope that answers the question jason you can't answer enrip snark with your own snark what self-respecting gygax worshiping dungeon master is just going to give a bard a one rating all the time come on I had to go do some research after after listening to these call-ins. So yeah, there's a distinction between multi-classing and dual-classing. I don't know if those are the exact words, but humans can't multi-class. Humans can dual-class. So if you're a human, you play as a class, you level up as a class, and then eventually you say, eh, I want to switch to a new class. So according to the rating system, as far as I, I'm understanding it, you are going to play that next level as that new class, and that's the focus of your rating. I think the magic user is a pretty good example. If you have been a magic user for five levels, and then you want to switch to fighter as a human, you're basically putting aside your five levels of wizard, magic user, whatever, and now you are being a fighter. You're putting the armor on, you're wielding the sword, and you're charging into melee, and that's your focus. If you use spells or start acting like a magic user, you get no experience for the adventure. That's what it says explicitly in the text for dual-class humans. You do not get any experience if you revert back to your old class. So you need to complete all your adventures as that new class in order to level up. And then I suppose after that, you can go back to being a fighter and a magic user. So, yes, in the case of humans, the rating system is a lot more clear. But we'll still talk about the demi-human multi-classing. Hey, Merck, just calling you to let you know I might have called you when your alter ego had control of the mic. But 
really the multi-class thing isn't an issue because you're not rating them as a fighter or a thief. You're rating them at that point as a fighter thief. Now they do the levels will advance differently because there are different amounts of experience needed. But really, you're you're rating them how well they're being a fighter thief or how well they're being a um, you, you know fighter magic user cleric. So you're rating them overall as that multi class thing. Um, so it's it's not a big deal at all. Uh, but but you could rate how well they do the fighter bits or the thief bits, I guess. But really, you're rating them as an overall thing. So it's, it's not a big deal. And, and like you say, it's just a conversation at the table. Although since the, you know, Gygax and the GM are God, it's, it's more of a directed authoritarian kind of conversation. Like this is the way it will be. And you put the, the stone tablets on the table and the player characters accept them. But, you know, aside from that little tiny correction, you, you pretty much nailed what would have to have to happen for multi-class characters. So great podcast as always. I look forward to your next one. Take care. Jason, I understand the words that you are saying. <laughs> we'll put it that way. But what is a fighter thief? He's laying out, this is the example of what a poor fighter would be. And this is the example of what a poor thief would be. And those actions for each of those, they're opposite each other. They are the antithesis of each other. A fighter needs to run into combat. A thief cannot run into combat. So when you become a fighter thief, what does that mean? How do you combine those two? And how can you properly rate that? I mean, I could understand a fighter cleric, because, you know, that's basically a paladin at that point. You can be a fighter that bravely runs into battle, helping and aiding people and serving your god in that process. Fighter cleric, that makes sense. That's not contradictory. But fighter cleric magic user, fighter magic user, on the one hand, a fighter must run into battle. On the other hand, a wizard should not be getting into melee combat. I do not see how that can be properly reconciled. I think this is a weakness of the system. I am not a fan of this whole rating system. So I agree with what you said, Jason. It's going to take some interpretation on the referee's part, and there is either going to have to be a conversation at the table, or, as you're saying, you slam down the stone tablets and say, this is how it's going to be. But you have to think this system cannot just be used as is. The rating system, in my mind, cannot be used as is without interpretation. And like I said before, once you start adding an interpretation, the game of AD&D will differ from table to table. Hey, Merck. Daniel calling in about the, uh, the takeover episode. So I do actually have, I guess, my thoughts on multiclassing because I think that's a really interesting question. I think the way that I would handle that is that you would want to show skills or signs or actions of each of the classes during play. You might even, if you're going to use the system, you might even rate each one separately, right? So if you, and again, I've seen this in 5e, so it's kind of funny. If you like take a level of something just to have like an extra ability, but you never act in that class, then why should that one go up, right? I mean, you could definitely take that attitude or go up with less training. So if you take a fighter magic user, let's say, but you just always act as a fighter because you just wanted the magic user so that you uh, had the read magic spell so you could cast scrolls if you ever find them or something like that, then maybe the magic user class would take longer to level up, right? So your fighter magic user, 
your Gandalf, right, is going to cast spells. They're going to maybe even you'll run a character like that as a uh, they take most more more out of combat spells, if you will. They don't take magic missile and fireball. They take read magic, detect magic, you know, all these other spells that are utility, as people say. And then in when they get into fights, they fight like a fighter, right? Or you could go the opposite and have the magic user be more of a battle uh, magic user, but then occasionally, you know, maybe they're maybe they're a magic user thief, right? So they're most they in fights. They're if they have to fight head on, if you will, they stay back and throw fireballs. But ideally, they sneak up and, and backstab. So you know, you want to mix it up and show some signs of each of it. I guess if you're a multi class, that's how I handle that. I don't think that's as much of an issue in AD and D either because. Multiclassing is not the same as, as I mentioned, like in 5e, you don't just throw a class on there. You uh, you do it when you create your character. It's only available to certain of the uh, the character races, and like not humans, for instance, and it really is specific. Like, so you, I think you would make your character build around that, right? Your idea that, okay, like for instance, you might say that Bilbo, so Bilbo in basic, well, Bilbo in basic D&D is a halfling, but let's say Bilbo in OD&D is a fighter because they can only be a fighter. There's no thief, right? But Bilbo in uh, in AD&D, I would say is a fighter thief, not just a straight thief because he actually does a bit more kind of fighting, being with the dwarves, everything, except when they need him to occasionally burgle, right? So he's a fighter thief. He mostly acts as a fighter, but occasionally sneaks around in thieves. Thus, he can gain levels in both. That's kind of how I would treat that kind of thing. I think that's a great way to try and interpret what Gary's saying when it comes to the rating system and multi-class characters. You know, you're doing the best you can. You're hoping to to see both thief and fighter abilities. But why do you need to police your players? Yeah, I, I don't know. This is a game. But this is reminding me of the Pink Phantom going through muster and talking about that hard-earned experience, not making it too easy on your players. I think it does warrant some more reflection, but that'll have to be at another time. Thank you, everyone, for calling in, sharing your thoughts, your insights. It's been interesting reading up on AD&D. Even if I never end up playing, it's been interesting to look at some of the design philosophy behind it and how to apply it to my own games in the future.